0: share with you later in sermons before, and somehow I I lost track of who the original source was. And then some months ago, Kathy and I just were watching a teaching on YouTube from R.C. Sproul, and he was the professor in the story. And so it was really a solid teaching. And I thought, well, I want to share the gist of this with the folks today and share it, of course, in my own words. I don't know if you've had this experience. You're reading along in the Bible. Maybe, maybe you're reading through the whole of Scripture. And you just read a story and it just you go, wow, it just seems like in this particular passage that God is unfair, unjust, mean, or, or harsh. And one of those passages could be Leviticus chapter 10. So let me read that. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will show myself holy in the sight of all the people. I will be honored. Aaron remained silent. Moses summoned Mishael and El Zaphon, sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel, and said to them, come here, carry your cousins outside the camp. Away from the front of the sanctuary. So they came and carried them still in their tunics outside the camp as Moses ordered. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Eleazar and Ithamar. Do, do not let your hair become unkempt and do not tear your clothes or you will die and the Lord will be angry with the whole community. But your relatives All the house of Israel may mourn for those the Lord has destroyed by fire. Do not leave the entrance to the tent of meeting or you will die because the Lord's anointing oil is on you. So they did, as Moses said. So these two sons of Aaron took their censers, went into the holy place and Performed a ritual unto the Lord, but it was unauthorized fire. Now, we're not told exactly what that was, but my original thinking is well, they just didn't do a ritual precisely correctly and God burned them up. It just seems so dramatic. You make a little error and this happens. But the scripture says our God is a consuming fire. But it may seem arbitrary or capricious, burn up for a small error. Aaron, their father, goes to Moses to complain. And Moses said, God must be revered as holy where they are ministering a sacred space. God himself is there. No, no sin or self can come in there. Now, if you were to read the story as it continues, verses eight to eleven, There there is a prohibition of alcohol to be uh, used while on duty. So perhaps they were drunk. I I don't know what the exact thing they did wrong. But Aaron, their father, was satisfied with this response. Okay, there's another story that seems maybe even more shocking, and that's in 2 Samuel 6. David, again, brought together out of Israel. Chosen men, 30,000 in all, he and all his men set out from Baalah of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Anibadab which was on the hill, Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the Ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the Ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him. And his entire household. Okay, so the ark was a a gold-covered box with two angels on the top of it, where the Lord's literal presence on earth dwelt. It, It was kept in the holy place inside the tabernacle and later the temple in Jerusalem. So apparently the Philistines, Israel's enemy, captured this ark in battle and had possession of it. But it caused such trouble to the Philistines that they wanted to get rid of it. So they put it on a cart with oxen and led the oxen to the edge of their territory. And the oxen were traveling along the road. And this is where David's men come and and take the cart from there. And as they're leading it along. A man named Uzzah saw that the ark was about to fall off the cart because the oxen stumbled. And he simply reached his hand up there to steady it so it didn't fall into the dirt. And he was killed for his efforts. It just seems like, wow, God, wasn't he doing a good thing? Why would you kill him? But Uzzah presumed that his hands were less polluted than the dirt that the ark was about to fall into. The word of God made it clear how the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord was to be carried. Let's read a couple places. Exodus 25. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the chest to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of the Ark. They are not to be removed. And then in Numbers 4.15. After Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy furnishings, And all the holy articles, when the camp is ready to move, the Kohathites are to come and do the carrying. But they must not touch the holy things or they will die. The Kohathites are to carry those things that are in the tent of meeting. So four Levites are prescribed to carry it. Only those particular men from a particular uh, clan of the tribe of Levi on the four poles. They each had an end of it, the four men, and they were to carry that way. They're not to touch it. So why it does appear to be, wow, that seems so unjust or unfair of God to kill this man who was only trying to do a good thing. His word was being disobeyed. Now, you may think this is only an Old Testament occurrence that kind of the angry God of the Old Testament, and he becomes a more merciful, nicer father in the New Testament. But there's a New Testament story that's kind of similar that I want to share. Acts chapter five. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge. He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who bear your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So these two people made a show of, yeah, we were giving you the whole thing when they were only giving part of it. It was a lie. But haven't you ever lied before? So these stories may confuse you and make you feel uncomfortable. Long ago, man was bad and God was mad. And Jesus was the good one. Now, man is good and God is bad. But if you think about it, the real mystery of these stories is not that a holy God exercises justice, but that he does it so seldom. The real mystery is how kind he is to his rebellious creation, for we are all rebellious creatures. All of our sin should be and is a capital offense against this holy God. In the Old Testament, there were 30 offenses that were deemed capital offenses, of which if you did that, you should be punished by the death penalty. And people think, 30? That many? But it's amazing that there were only 30. Even the slightest sin is defined the holy nature of God. It is cosmic treason. Humans insult God's majesty. And challenge his authority daily. Rudolf Otto described God as Mysterium Tremendum. A tremendous mystery. He's wholly other. He's unique. He's different. He's not like me. Holiness is at the core of God's very being. In Isaiah 6, it says... In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. I can't think of another virtue of God mentioned in the Bible where it's mentioned three times in a row to emphasize the holiness of God. So while these three stories may seem unfair to us, they aren't. They actually show how merciful God is that those stories are so infrequent in the Bible. God is patient with us. He extends mercy To give us time to repent. But we humans often take God's mercy for granted. Then we presume on it. Then demand it. And now I want to share the story that Sproul shared as a professor at a Christian college. He told his class on the first day his expectations of them for that period. He said, Your main assignment are three major papers and they must be turned in on time. So it came time for the first paper was due. And a class of about 200 students, about 175, got the paper in on time. The remaining 25 or so asked for an extension and he granted it. By the time the next paper was due, About 150 students got in it on time, and now about 50 students who didn't get the paper in on time asked for an extension, which he granted. Well, the students began to talk among each other. Professor Sproul is a good guy. You can get the paper in late. It doesn't matter. He lets you do it after the extension date. So by the time the third paper rolled around, you probably... Get what's happening here now. Only about 100 students got their paper in on time and about 100 students asked for an extension of which he said, no extension. All 100 of you get an F. So one student in the back piped up. That's not fair. And Professor stroll asked him, who said that? And he said his name and he looked his name up in his grade book and says, you have already asked for two other extensions, which I granted to you. You get three F's. All right. You don't want fair. You don't want justice. We presume on God's grace. We justify and minimize our sin is it's just a weakness. Everybody's doing it. And mercy is given time and time again by God to us to repent, to turn from our sin. Remember, mercy is free and voluntary. God isn't obligated to give it. Yet he does time and time again. The stories like Uzzah and the sons of. The high priest Aaron, they're so rare where they could be so plentiful because of our sin. But God shows mercy and grace time and time again. Jesus shows that in a parable in Matthew 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius. For the day and sent them into his vineyard about the third hour, so 9 a.m., he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour, so about noon and the ninth hour, 3 p.m. And did the same thing. About the 11th hour, 5 p.m., he went out and found still others standing around. He asked him, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came, and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden. Of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Did you didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money or Are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. The landlord was right in everything he did. He was fair. He was just. They all had agreed for the work they did and the pay they received. Though it may seem unfair to us as we read that story. And I can imagine if I had started at 6 a.m. and someone started at 5 p.m. and we got paid the same, I would be upset about it. But I wasn't done wrong. God never does wrong. He's generous. He's merciful. And because he's sovereign, he can give his salvation, his grace, his mercy to whomever he wants to, however he wants to distribute it. So we see that God is both just and merciful. He's never unjust. He never does wrong. He wrongs no one. He always does right. So don't ask for justice. Don't ask. Be fair with me. You just may get it. But thanks to Jesus, he became the propitiation for our sins. The atoning sacrifice. Let me read Romans three. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement or propitiation through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who. Who have faith in Jesus. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross appeased God's wrath by he himself taking our sin so God could pour out mercy to us. And so now we can approach a holy God, as it says in Hebrews 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I want to close with a quote By R.C. Sproul. The false conflict between the two testaments may be seen in the most brutal act of divine vengeance ever recorded in scripture. It is found not in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. The most violent expression of God's wrath and justice is seen in the cross. If ever a person had room to complain of injustice, it was Jesus. He was the only innocent man ever to be punished by God. If we stagger at the wrath of God, let us stagger at the cross. Here is where our astonishment should be focused. If we have cause for moral outrage, let it be directed at Golgotha. The cross was at once the most horrible and the most beautiful example of God's wrath. It was the most just and the most gracious act in history. God would have been more than unjust. He would have been diabolical to punish Jesus if Jesus had not first willingly taken upon himself the sins of the world. Once Christ had done that, once he volunteered To be the Lamb of God, laden with our sin, then he became the most grotesque and vile thing on this planet. With the concentrated load of sin he carried, he became utterly repugnant to the Father. God poured out his wrath on this obscene thing. God made Christ accursed for the sin he bore. Herein was God's holy justice Perfectly manifested. It was done for us. He took what justice demanded from us. This for us aspect of the cross is what displays the majesty of its grace. At the same time, justice and grace, wrath and mercy. It is too astonishing to fathom. Yes, it is, Lord. Oh, Jesus, we could never pay the price for what you did for us on the cross. You bore our sin there. So God would not have to punish us in his wrath against sin in us. He poured it out on you. You bore the penalty. You paid the price. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for doing that. And we are the recipients of so much mercy and grace beyond what we deserve. But we are thankful today and we're thankful that we have an opportunity to take communion together, which highlights and points us to what you did for us on the cross. And it also is such a a warm time of your presence with us as we partake this into our bodies, come into us and fill us afresh. Let us bask in. In the wonder of the cross and resurrection of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.